1: Welcome back to Tell Me This. I am your host Carrie Borkowski, and this is episode thirteen. Wow, thirteen episodes! I I honestly cannot believe that I've been doing this for thirteen weeks. It's crazy. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am I'm pretty tired. This is week four, day one of homeschooling, and I'm feeling pretty beat up. Uh, I'm not sure I was built for K-12 teaching, and I've always appreciated our K-12 teachers. I have a couple in our extended family, and this just reaffirms my belief that they should be paid more than most people in our country. So, um, once again, thank you to our teachers that that do this work day in and day out. Um, I'm just having to do it, hopefully, for the next, gosh, who knows, right now, um, you know, the next couple of months. So, So today's episode, episode 13, the title, I I, honestly, I was having trouble coming up with a title, so I went with Contradiction in this COVID-19 Crisis, Finding Good in the Midst of the Crisis. I know, um, I'm, I'm not loving the title. It feels a little cliche, this idea, you're probably thinking, you know, making the best of a situation, any sort of cliche, right? Finding the silver lining, making... Lemonade out of lemons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It feels tired. I get it, um, but I would really like to suggest that you, um, I don't know, give me, uh, give me a little bit of breadth here, a little bit of a uh, chance to convince you that I'm not talking about this tired old cliche that we're accustomed to hearing um, when you know when bad things happen. Um, I I really believe, and as I've spoken to my students and my family and been around my kids more than I ever imagined I would be around them, um, it is important to me and I think it should be important to us that we figure out, you know, how to make the best of a crisis and also model this kind of reaction for folks around us. Um, I think it's something we could offer to our families, our friends, our students, as we continue to face, experience, and eventually, well, continually move through these unprecedented moments. So what do I mean? Um, I really am not trying to use this old cliche. In this case, I, I looked up this word contradiction, so I'm trying to be int- intentional about my selection of the word. It started with um, uh, a different word, conundrum, but didn't love that one just based on the definition. So I went with contradiction. I love paradox, but I feel like you guys are probably getting tired of hearing me say paradox because it's it's one of my favorite concepts. So so I, again, I was trying, to be, was trying to use some variety in the podcast. So contradiction, and I'm really leaning on the definition on dictionary.com that describes it as a logical inconsistency. Okay, so when I'm thinking about contradictions in the COVID-19 crisis, I'm thinking about logical inconsistencies. Look, I am not asking anyone to put on rose color glasses during this serious, very serious crisis. I'm also not asking anyone to pretend that everything is okay, because it's not, we get that. I mean, we are literally, at least in Massachusetts in most of the states in our country and around the world, we are being asked to stay in our homes. I mean, we I've was i rarely watched the news because, to be quite honest with you, it feels scary. Um, I've never felt so anxious, and the more I watch, the more anxious I get. So I allow myself to walk, watch in small doses so I can stay informed but not be overwhelmed. And I actually heard someone say, I think it was the Surgeon General saying um, last night that if you can avoid it, don't go out at all this week. I mean, I've never in my lifetime, thank goodness, heard that message. You know, I mean, I've been through snowstorms, you know, we've had crazy winds in Situate. I've never, thank goodness, been through a hurricane, but I've never been told to not go out. You know, be careful going out, watch yourself when you go out, take this so you'll be safe when you go out, but never Stay in your home. So I get that it's serious. I'm also not asking anyone to put on a brave face. Um, hold, I'm at what I'm asking you to do, and this is why I love paradox. But again, I'm trying not to use that word. I'm using contradiction, this logical inconsistency. What I'm asking you to do, and for us to do, is to hold that inconsistency, to hold the crisis, this pandemic, this COVID nineteen, and all the worry anxiety, fear, upset, all of those sort of feelings, right? Those icky feelings we have in one hand and hold the moments. And I know you've had some of gratitude, grace, kindness, empathy, love, and connection that you have felt during this crisis in the other. Hold them together at the same time be willing and able and give yourself permission to feel all of that, right? This idea of contradiction also speaks to that idea of, of dialectical messaging and this this notion of what I just said. Look, it's a terrible pandemic, it's scary, it's sad. And at the same time, having the ability and giving others to, the permission to feel relief that their own family is safe and healthy. It is perfectly acceptable to feel sad for other families or individuals who have suffered lo- a loss or losses as a result of this pandemic. And it's perfectly acceptable at the same time to be relieved that your family is safe and healthy. We cannot, did everybody hear me? We cannot and should not kick ourselves as we find moments of gratitude in our day-to-day during this crisis. So there, does that sound like I'm asking you to make lemonade out of lemons? I hope not. I mean, I'm I'm really not asking you to candy coat this situation or pretend that it's something something else when it's, you know, something serious. I'm just asking yourself I'm asking you to give yourself and folks around you permission to feel both, you know, that it's okay to laugh. I mean, especially if you have young ones around you, whether they're your own, or neighbors, that as long as you're keeping the social distance, the six feet of separation. I mean, especially our kiddos and our young people, and heck, not even just the kiddos. Come on, who am I kidding? We all need to have moments of laughter, of cheer. It's just too scary to stay in that one pandemic place, that emotion, that worry, that part um, for too long. So try to hold both. So as always, you know this is a podcast. Tell me this: it's a story about a story. It's a podcast about belonging, um, building connection, um, cultivating our own perception, our self-perception of belonging, and helping others feel like they belong. And as I've said many times, I I've been wanting to do a podcast, but I feel like the impetus for the podcast was really as a way to honor my grandmother and my grandparents' life. And this is something, tell me this is something she often would say to me as she would lean in to listen to something I was sharing with her. And so in this episode about contradictions in the COVID-19 crisis, finding good in the midst of this crisis, when I thought of a story, I actually thought of a story that's more about my pop-up, my grandmother's husband, we called him pop-up, but it also includes my grandmother. So The one, the memory that comes to mind is about, it's around the time when my cousins and I were looking through old photo albums at my grandmother's house. We'd already called hospice and we knew that my grandmother's, you know, time on this earth was shortening. Um, And we were taking shifts to care for her, to help care for her in her final days. And one afternoon, many of us, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, and my brother, we gathered at her house having, you know, sharing a meal, sharing telling stories and looking at the myriad photos my grandparents had collected. Now, you know, for I guess for folks who, you know, are millennials out there who grew up in the age of galaxy phones and and iPhones, perhaps this is something that you wouldn't be familiar with, but when I was a kid, gosh, I'm making myself self sound old. When I was a kid, we actually had something called photo albums. And I can remember as a young person, as a teenager, asking for photo albums for uh, birthdays and for gifts for Christmas because it was this this booklet where we actually printed photos and stuck them in a book and then we would look at them periodically. So my grandparents, both having reached their mid-90s, had lots of photo albums. I mean, they had some old ones with just black and white. They had lots of oh my goodness, if you could see some of the pictures of me and my cousins and our haircuts and our clothes. Hilarious. In one of the albums, my cousin and I found two letters from my grandfather, handwritten letters, stamped um with the like US government seal as if they had been read. These were letters that he wrote to my grandmother when he was overseas during World War II. My grandparents married in July and that next October, so August, September, three months later, my grandfather was shipped off to Europe to join his unit in World War II. There's a whole other story about that, and I, I'll have to figure out a way to 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 get that one in there because that's a really cool one, too. But my grandfather, sorry, was gone for the first two years of their marriage. These letters were amazing. They sounded like my pop-pop. Now remember where he is. He is in Europe. I think at the time he was either in France or Germany, but it doesn't matter. He was in the middle of World War II. He adored my grandmother and he let everyone, including my grandmother, know it. So while the midst of of this world war, not knowing what would happen next, where his unit would travel, he took a moment and wrote, I, I have one letter and my cousin has the other, a, wrote this lovely letter that shared how he loved my grandmother's smile, he described how he adored her, and in the letter towards the closing, he referred to her as sweetie pie, a phrase I heard a lot growing up. I think perhaps this is what I'm talking about when I say and think about the contradictions in crisis. Amid what I can only imagine as the stress, anxiety, fear, and goodness only knows I will never know the hard feelings related to war, he could still share intimate, authentic, and so sweet feelings with my grandmother. So today, During this pandemic, we may not write a love letter or recite a romantic poem, but I'm here to remind us that even in the midst of a crisis, it is okay to feel gratitude, to feel happiness, to feel kindness, to express kindness, to love, and honestly, just feel relief at being safe and healthy with your family. So the themes of this podcast are really going to pick up on where we left off last week. We're going to talk a little bit more. I'm going to talk a little bit more about shared vulnerability and I'm going to talk a little bit about an article around the community of inquiry framework, which I also mentioned last week, which is a framework used in distance learning to think about how do you engage with others in online learning spaces Um, In particular, we're going to focus on, I'm going to focus on social presence. And then time permitting, I'm going to talk a little bit about this idea of purpose and not forgetting all of our training and all of our instincts when we engage in teaching and learning spaces. Even when we're online, we still know how to teach. So don't let the technology distract us and remember our purpose. Um, The other great thing I wanted to mention is that I am super excited Then I'm going to have my second guest later in this episode, Brianne Ruse, a faculty at Loyal University in Maryland, soon to be a a graduated doctoral student and dear friend and colleague will be joining me today. And on the episode, she and I will pick up with a conversation she and I actually had um, early last week um, or maybe the, the weekend before that inspired episode 12 about shared vulnerability. Um, in particular, we're going to talk more about Brian's notion of shared belonging, how she sees and enacts it in her professional and personal context, and we're also going to spend some time reflecting on what we see happening with respect to conversations, news articles, announcements, all around distance learning and supporting students and teachers in this transition from face-to-face to distance education. So I hope you will stick around for what I think is going to be a great conversation This is Tell Me This, Episode 13, Contradictions in the COVID-19 Crisis, Finding Good in the Midst of This Crisis, and I'll be right back. Thanks. All right, so welcome back to Tell Me This. This is episode thirteen: Contradictions in this COVID nineteen crisis, finding good in the midst of crisis. And as I was talking about in the story um, on today's episode, we're really trying to understand how we can, you know, hold those two contradictory, or not even two, multiple contradictory feelings, thoughts, emotions in both of our hands. And I'm, as I said, I'm super excited to welcome my friend let's see friend colleague former student i feel like there are lots of ways that i could introduce brianne and i'm i was saying brianne um, you didn't hear the intro but i was sharing that you are very close to being dr ruse yes <laughs> yes and i am so looking forward to the day that i can call you that officially so so welcome to the podcast thank you and so i'm super glad to have you here. So, um, I have to share a secret with my audience that I I kind of alluded to last week, but didn't share fully that. And I shared with you maybe after the fact, which when I thought about it, maybe I should have shared before, but um, episode 12 on shared vulnerability really came out of, I don't know if you remember, hopefully you do, the conversation we had um, just about, you know, belonging and vulnerability and you really, um, and I hope we're going to talk about it today, but you really, you know, brought that term to me, and I, I have much gratitude because I was able to do a whole episode on it. So <laughs> I'm officially giving you attribution and credit right now. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> so a proper not, APA citation. <laughs> that's right. So I'm not a probably the first ever, um, even though it's late to the game. But yeah. So um, so let's see, friend, colleague, former student, uh, writing partner, thought partner, faculty at Loyola University advisor extraordinaire. What am I missing? What did I miss in your introduction, Brianne? Uh, I think you got it all. Mama, two girls. Yeah, mama. (laughs) Absolutely. Don't want to forget that the two girls in there for sure. So so thank you again. Um, As I told the audience earlier, I'm hoping for us to talk a little bit more about shared vulnerability so they can actually hear right from you, the source, and then perhaps we'll have time to talk about The community of inquiry, a little bit, and in particular, uh, social presence, a little bit. And then um, I really wanted to dig in. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is to really talk about, in your own context, you know, how you're navigating this and sort of enacting, you know, these ideas. Because as you and I have talked about, you know, share vulnerability is sort of this. No, it's a big, hefty term, right? And so I kind of want to break it down a little bit to give the audience and, and people who are listening just ideas of sort of how to do the work and that it doesn't take uh, difficult practices. So um, so as I, I shared with you when we were talking about you coming on, you're my second guest. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess now I have a, a, a pattern maybe with two guests. Um, I have a couple of questions that I would love for you to answer that I had asked uh, Lisa Mitchell when she was on. And so the first one really is I was just hoping you could share with the listeners your own concept, notion of belonging.
2: Sure. So um, <clears throat> this is not my own, but I'll, I'll make it my own. <laughs> so to give attribution to Strayhorn. Strayhorn. Um, he writes a lot about belonging in the, in the higher ed kind of college setting. And so that speaks to me cause that's my world right now. And he talks about belonging as a sense of feeling uh, connectedness. And then in addition to that, an experience of mattering, mm-hmm. uh, feeling accepted and respected and valued and, and being an important, seeing yourself as important to the campus community, to faculty and to peers. And I think there's such a big difference just, you know, between just fitting in and then really seeing yourself as someone who who is accepted and valued mm-hmm. in a community.
1: Yeah. Um, can you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, I'm not as familiar with Horns work. Can you just briefly sort of like, what kind of work is this person doing to sort of explore belonging? Do you, can you sort of talk about that a little? Yeah.
2: So he, um he really wanted to explore belonging specifically in higher ed. And so he built on, um, you know, kind of seminal authors like Maslow and Mm -hmm. and Tinto and, and took those ideas of belonging as a need and really explored them in the context of higher ed through all sorts of studies, quantitative and qualitative, um, and looking at belonging across groups. And he does a lot of work specifically with, um, minority students Mm -hmm. and and their sense of belonging Mm -hmm. on campus.
1: Yeah, that it's it's funny that you brought brought him into this because I think eventually we'll get into it a little when we get into deeper parts of the conversation. But that Maslow's hierarchy Maslow's hierarchy seems to be popping up often these days when we've talked about sort of transitioning to distance learning and social isolation. So it's it's great that you were able to weave his work into this. So um, the other question that I'd love for you to talk about, if you're if you're willing, is you know, thinking about that, your definition or what you sort of align with, with respect to belonging, feeling accepted, respected. Can you share a story or a mo- even a moment where you didn't feel like you belonged and maybe how you were either able to or weren't able to manage it for yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, <laughs> so that's a vulnerable question to ask, right? Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> I would say it's it's probably more recent than I would like to admit it. it. would be more comfortable if I was saying something like I was 12 and this yeah. happened, but um, no, I mean, in the context of this doctoral program, to be honest with you, because the the program is, is, it's unique because it's an online program. And so that allows for students to be from all different areas of the world and all different programs. And they bring such impressive backgrounds mm-hmm. to um, you know, together to this one program, and so I felt, oh my gosh, really overwhelmed and intimidated by everybody in this program and their kind of pedigree and leadership and all of this. And I just thought, what? How? Why am I here? How did this work that I got in? I knew that I was accepted in the mm-hmm. sense that I got a letter of acceptance and I was in the in the cohort, but I did not at all feel like I belonged. Mm-hmm. And really, it was just it was my own perception, and that's I think such an important part of Strayhorn's definition is that it's not. No one ever made me feel, no one ever said you are mm-hmm. less than your peers, ever, ever, ever. It was all just my perception of, you know, what could I possibly bring to this group of people? Mm-hmm. Um, and how could I be valued? And I think sort of how I moved through that, although it, it creeps up a lot, so I can't just say, you know, it's, it's over <laughs> and done. But yeah. how I try to move through it is to kind of openly share my feelings of vulnerability. So very specifically, you know, Carrie, that I am super self-conscious and uncomfortable with statistics and research methods. And our first course was okay, and our second course was really hard, and, yeah. or hard for me. And finally, I just was like, I have to own this. I have to own that I do not have a background in stats, and other people do, and I just came forward and kind of jokingly, but but not shared <laughs> my my concerns and just sort of put it all out there and it was so well received i mean from from you and from peers and we got groups together and we got through it and it ended up being kind of fun and i i did feel ultimately like i belonged in the program and even in those hard courses
1: yeah it feels like that that response was almost planted in the podcast because it was such a great example of creating a space for shared vulnerability, right, because I think I remember some of those conversations having been in the class, and you definitely weren't the only one that thought that course was hard and were having struggles, so I think, I mean, honestly, even as the instructor, it's interesting to to reflect on that. I think I almost also felt a sense of relief because folks were coming forward, right, because I, as an instructor, as you know, you can't do anything to support the person if they aren't willing to just give you a little peep into what's going on, right?
2: Yep, um, yeah, it's true. But it's so much easier to ask students to do that than to do it yourself. Oh, <laughs> amen. And I felt like, I, fe- I mean, I was really aware of that in the moment just thinking, oh gosh, like if these were my students, what would I want them to do? And so yeah,
1: yeah, it, totally. it takes
2: a little courage, I think, to, to put yourself out there. But that vulnerability really paid off.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, we joke about it. I think we joke about it a lot. I think it's a great reminder to folks listening that these moments of either vulnerability or shared vulnerability, you know, particularly in a moment like a pandemic that we're facing, where it's—I I don't know how you've been feeling, Brienne, but it feels like a roller coaster, right? And I think, in a lot of ways, vulnerability is the same way. It's not that it—you don't—you don't achieve it and then never feel it, feel nervous about it again, right? It's sort of. You have a moment where you're like, okay, I got over that hump, but then you find yourself right back <laughs> where you were with some other um, circumstance. So
2: yeah, I, mean, I just think if we can learn from that and try to just remember like, okay, I felt this before and this is what I did, and that worked, and maybe it just won't take as long the next time to to get to that place of yes, feeling more comfortable. Absolutely. My goal is to just move through it a little more quickly.
1: Yeah. And and you kind of nicely transitioned into something else I, I was wondering if you would be willing to talk about is, you know, the the reflecting and the learning and the, even the doing of the, you know, those vulnerable acts, um, it's not always second nature, right? It really takes work. And so I wonder if there's um, a person or persons or, yeah, I just, I'm just thinking about like people who model this, right, that have sort of gotten us to where we are or help us process this. Can you sort of talk about Because I I know you well enough to know that, you know, this has been work for you, just like it's been work for me. So I'm wondering sort of who's been your support system to help you do that work.
2: I mean, I think I have, as Brene Brown would say, marble jar friends. Well, Mm -hmm. not I think, I know. So there are, you know, there are some people who I certainly call on when things are super stressful and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just not quite sure what to do. But I mean, I really, I I have to go to Brene Brown. Like she's just...
1: (laughs) Please, I mean, I go. feel like
2: she's my marble jar friend. I don't know <laughs> if I'm hers, but um, I go to her when things are hard. So, uh, and she, she sort of never lets me down, which is nice. But yeah. <laughs> there's so many messages that she that she shares, and one she uses the word courage. And I have never ever thought of myself as a courageous person. Yeah, because I think I was associating courage with risk taking, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I'm sort of risk averse generally. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I really liked the way she talked about that and. You know one of the things that helps me to cultivate my own feeling of belonging is help is, is meeting other people in that same space, which mm-hmm. I know is kind of where we're going ultimately mm-hmm. with shared vulnerability. but the idea of sharing you know kind of your experience or your reflection on an experience or even a very raw reflection mm-hmm. as opposed to something that's refined and thought about but and this is happening so much right now with COVID. It's just it's a question of where are you today with this? Like you said, it is such a roller coaster. We're back and forth and up and down and good days and, and stressful days. And yeah. What I really like about Brene Brown is she talks so much about boundaries and sharing mm-hmm. within boundaries and, and sort of keeping those roadblocks mm-hmm. up so yeah. that you're not oversharing and it becomes awkward for the listener and inappropriate <laughs> for you. I mean, that's not the goal. Yeah. My goal really is is to just be authentic and be genuine and have real conversations. With people Mm -hmm. where we can connect, and that helps me to feel like I belong. And students always say, you know, we just really appreciate the time that we have to just talk about things, Mm -hmm. but kind of before moving into class material, sometimes during class material. And I, I just think there's always a place for this sort of work.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I love the this idea of I mean, especially in the pandemic, thinking about uncertainty and risk-taking and, and thinking about who, you know, creating those spaces and sort of who helps us get there. And I, I you know me, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan and my listeners already know that. So <laughs> I'm, I, I, I I, love the idea of thinking about her as a Marvel to our friend, even if she doesn't know it, that's, that. <laughs> I think I'm just going to hold on to that one. So. <laughs> and I do, it's funny because when I read her books, the point that she makes about boundaries, um, I definitely remember that, but it wasn't something that I had really grabbed onto until more recently. Um, and actually in a previous segment of this podcast, um, we I talked about sort of this idea of, you know, social presence, you know, being your authentic self doesn't mean you're sort of dumping everything out for all the world to see, right, that there are boundaries. So yes, yeah, so I was really glad that you brought that up. So so you, you mentioned, you know, COVID and, and, and the ups and downs and, and sort of just dealing with this pandemic. I'm wondering, thinking about belonging and thinking about the pandemic, like, what does that look like for you? I guess, let me step back. Maybe you could just just really briefly share with the listeners sort of your role at Loyola, like what you're doing so they have a better sense of your context, and then just talk about knowing what your context is, uh, your work with faculty and students. What does belonging look like right now for you?
2: Sure, so I teach in the Department of Speech Language Hearing Sciences. I'm a speech language pathologist, and I teach four undergraduate courses, and so those have been moved online as, you know, everybody has been moved online, so that's been a shift in terms of online, you know, transitioning them to online learning. I'm familiar with it myself as a student, and I've taught a little bit online before, but Carrie, you and I have discussed it's a whole different ballgame when you plan a course to be online and the students plan to take the course <laughs> online than when, you know, in a week we're, we're moving. So that's been a shift. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and then there's just been so much work around student support because I, I don't know, I mean, I think part of my role right now is – paying really close attention to what's going on with these students. And mm-hmm. I'm so concerned that somebody's gonna fall through the cracks and mm-hmm. that that we're gonna miss somebody and that this COVID, you know, pandemic is gonna I just I, I don't want them to to sort of slip. I want to make sure everybody can be as successful as possible and, yeah. and we don't lose lose track of anybody. And that's sort of part of our mission is, you know, to educate the whole student and I think that we have to bring our whole selves to that particularly right now.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that, like that you don't want folks to fall through the cracks. Cause I I think I feel similarly in many sort of hats that I feel like I wear. Um, I think for me, and I think what you said earlier resonates with me, this idea of um, that people, you know, how do I want to say it? It's just this, this notion that like, it's their perception, right? Their perception of belonging. So what I I guess what I'm getting at is it's not, it's not just that they're like, you're not able to get a hold of them, right? Like it's not just like making that, that it's not a physical connection, but like whatever that connection is virtually, it's also how do you help cultivate and remind them, I guess, since you've already been teaching them that they still belong, right? Like that perception piece is what's sort of keeping me up at night, like, because they're dealing with, so many other stress i mean you said today in a conversation we had about something else like our ability to receive things right now is blocked by a lot right so um it just makes me wonder it just makes me wonder about that perception piece how can we help manage that i don't know if you've given it thought
2: um i mean it's funny i was watching a video of somebody at our university today and and he was talking about ways that we can do good And he said, you know, we can serve many, many people, we can sort of serve the masses. And that's, that's one way of doing good. And he said, other times we do good by paying close attention to the one right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can just do that, um, Mm -hmm. that's what we need to do right now. and, And really, I mean, for me, for example, there are a couple of students who have Um, ill parents and grandparents. And I knew this because I had chatted with them on campus before we left just under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's really important to me to continuously follow up with those students. Mm -hmm. Like repeatedly. Yeah. And just touch base and make sure that things are okay. But that takes attention, right? Mm -hmm. And it took attention even before Mm -hmm. COVID to care, to have the conversations, to find out what's going on at home. So this idea of attending to the person right in front of you, I loved that message. And I think Mm -hmm. it's something that I really try to do but I hadn't thought Thought it through in that way before and given it words. Yeah, that's.
1: I I like that too. I think, it's. I think it it's laser focused, right? First, it really it really gives you purpose. Like we were talking about purpose earlier with like all of these tech tools that are flying all around us. Like, okay, just focus on the person in front of you. So it gives you focus. I think the the thing I like about it when I was listening to you is like it almost made my shoulders relax because it also it's almost like it gives me a little relief and permission not to be carrying everybody at once cuz i know i've said to you and i'm going to be vulnerable for a second like the first few weeks i was really worried that i wasn't doing enough and it took a dear friend like you to say well you're you're helping your students right and i and i just because i do that work all the time i didn't think of it that way and so it's it's such a great reminder to say like focus on the person in front of you and i think We could all use a little bit of that right now, to be honest.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yes. I mean, we all, yes, for sure. And they appreciate it. I mean, today I was doing some reflection with them. I just asked some questions. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Generally, what what do you think is going well, what's not Mm -hmm. going so well, and what can we do differently for the next few weeks to get us to the end of the semester? And the things that are going well were really, thank you for giving us time to just talk. Yeah and for giving us so many different ways to express what's going on right now. So some people like to chat in the beginning of class and some people feel more comfortable in a one-on-one email, mm-hmm. you know, context and this survey that I put out was just a Google form mm-hmm. and they felt comfortable there. So and a couple of them noted all of these different ways that you know, I'm trying to reach out to them and they appreciate uh-huh. the different that's awesome. Kind of so. Yeah, I'm going to,
1: don't don't forget all of those ways because I'm definitely going to ask you about that uh, okay. <laughs> in a minute. But before, before we get to sort of the enacting piece, I want to circle back since, you know, this was your term. Uh, I want to get to this idea of shared vulnerability because even if your students aren't articulating those words, I think what you just described is probably some of that happening, right? That space that you were able to create is is giving them a chance not just to express their own feelings, but hear and listen to other people creating these, oh, like, okay, she's, she or he is feeling what I'm feeling. So can you, I just want to hear a little bit more and I want the audience to hear sort of what you were thinking about and how you articulate that shared vulnerability, like how did it, how did it sort of manifest for you or come about, I guess.
2: Well, it really came about when I was talking with a colleague about how to support students through this. And she gave me some great pointers, um, various things to think about. And at the end, it's interesting because this wasn't really one of her pointers, but it just came out in the conversation that we had after. And she said, you know, the crazy thing is that you, you were used to supporting students through things. You know, for example, the, parents with, or the students with ill parents and mm-hmm. grandparents. That's sort sure. of a typical thing. Sure. For us on the faculty side, atypical for the students themselves, but we can be really empathetic and really get there with the student and, and truly be supportive and kind of feel what they're feeling and, and walk the walk with them
1: mm-hmm.
2: with the advantage of some distance, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not my parents, it's not my, you know, it's not our, our situations. This COVID context is so unique because we are feeling and experiencing the same things that our students are are going through and we this is not what we normally do um and so that was I the conversation <laughs> and it was just kind of like this is wild i mean how bizarre to be able to say oh my gosh i'm feeling the same way and really mean it yeah um, you know in related to these relations to these world events and you and i were were talking and i said it just feels like such a shared vulnerability it just mm-hmm. feels like you're scared i'm scared yeah i mean we are really unified by this vulnerability right now and." you know, it's, it's almost a thing like right now we're in this place where people who are not social distancing are, mm-hmm. people are looking at them like, what are you doing? This is crazy. We are all vulnerable. Yeah. You know, everybody has to be doing the right thing. <laughs> no doubt. And I think that that's a unique position that we're in and that's where it was really born. It's just the idea of being so present, mm-hmm. um, to one another and recognizing that we all are walking the same walk right now.
1: Yeah. And I had that conversation with you, I listened intently, and I scooped it right up and made an episode of a podcast.
2: (laughs) I listened to the episode. I thought you did a great job describing it. Thank you. (laughs)
1: I did mention you though. I was, I, afraid, I, I was afraid to mention you by name without getting your permission. That's why I said a dear friend and colleague. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Look, I'm a work in progress and this podcast is so I, I'm learning as I go. So next time I will ask before I... No, <laughs> I was happy to hear it. I think you did a great job. Oh, that's funny. Um, so I want to sort of honor the the topic of the episode, which is partly, I mean, I we I divert all the time, which is fine. But um, it's partly about contradictions in COVID, right? I know you and I have talked a lot about paradox. So I, I joked in that beginning of the episode and said that I didn't want to say paradox because my listeners might be tired of me saying paradox because I love that word. <laughs> um, so I went with contradiction and you had mentioned or had sent, shared with me an email. And I think I'm saying it right. This dialectical mm. um, conversations or messaging. And so I'm wondering as you've noticed and observed and even participated in these, you know, spaces with your students and faculty around shared vulnerability, are you seeing people's ability to sort of talk about the fear, the worry, this, the, the nervousness, but at the same time also be grateful that, you know, they're not, in, they're not sick, that their family is healthy, like being able to hold those contradictions together, are you seeing that?
2: I'm seeing that people are not doing that and that they're wanting and Mm. needing the permission to do it. And we just had this conversation in one of my classes today, actually talking with students and they used the the but, you know, we're feeling this, but other people are feeling so much worse. And this was a class of mostly seniors who are feeling really kind of cheated out of their senior experience and they're missing, desperately missing campus and their friends Mm -hmm. and all these traditions that they've been waiting to be theirs for a couple of years, and it's just, I mean, it's a really hard thing that they're dealing with right now. Yeah. And then their next word is, but, you know, people are dying, and people are really sick, so it's fine. Like, what we have to deal with is fine. And Mm -hmm. I stopped them, and I said, let's just talk about that a little bit. You are allowed to feel really disappointed and sad and angry or or frustrated or whatever Mm -hmm. related to your experience, Mm -hmm. and you also can feel scared and upset that people are very sick and that this thing is huge. Mm -hmm. And unlike anything we've ever experienced, it's perfectly fine. And we should feel several things. It doesn't have to be a choice. Yeah. And I think it—it just relieved. When I was told this, it relieved a lot of my stress because I felt like I had to put everything in a hierarchy Mm. and I had to just pick sort of the most dire circumstance (laughs) and kind of be there with the people on the front lines all the time. Yeah. Uh, Out of guilt, I guess. It was kind of a bizarre thing that I couldn't really articulate. And then, you know, this colleague said, no, 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 there's, there's a thing. There's an (laughs) idea called dialectical thinking. And and I like that word. And uh, it means that you can hold two or more ideas or feelings at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that the students, you know, you said your shoulders relaxed. They did, you could see them sort of sitting back in their chairs Mm -hmm. as they were talking. They're like, huh, okay. Yeah.
1: So they bought it. That was going to be my follow up. So they, they, they bought into that notion.
2: They bought into it because I wasn't dismissing either one. I wasn't saying no, 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 no. I mean, let's, let's do you. It's all about you right now. And, and there are these other people, but this is what you're feeling. Yeah. It really was modeling the and. Mm -hmm. And I think that they needed to hear that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, I know you came to a couple last week um, or the week before when we did those sort of evening happy hours with students I yeah. felt like I felt like we were modeling and experiencing some of that with the sort of shifting from someone sa- sharing a really hard moment that she's having with her students and and really coming to tears and us all feeling real trying to feel real empathy but then you know a few minutes later being able to laugh and she was also you know participating in the laughter so I think um, you're right. This. I didn't think about it this way, that way, but yeah, it, it is. Sometimes it's giving permission, right, to feel that way. Um, there's a great article. I think I might a book. I think I might have mentioned it in the podcast last week. Um, Untamed, um, Glennon Doyle talks about liberating um, by expressing and modeling like your own authentic self, and what it does is it, it's actually it doesn't just liberate you, but it liberates whomever is receiving that because then they see that they have permission to express in similar ways. So I thought that was like, that's like incredibly powerful. So when you're feeling like you can't do it, maybe think about how you're, you might help somebody else be able to do it. Yeah. Um, I just think that's a pretty, I don't know. It's pretty powerful. I could, we could probably talk about that (laughs) all all evening. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're a, a busy, busy woman with all your responsibilities. So, Um, I just wanted to briefly touch on, because I did mention to the listeners that I would mention it, um, we've talked a little bit about community of inquiry and sort of, you know, those ideas of cognitive presence, teaching presence, social presence. I don't know about you, but as I look at the social media feeds and and take my small, small dose of news, cause I can't take more than a small, small dose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and am sort of engaging in emails and whatnot with my son's elementary school. That framework sort of sits in my brain and what sits in my brain is that like the social piece feels much bigger than the others right now. I'm just wondering as a faculty member, like during your meetings with faculty, or I know you have two, uh, two girls you know in in school as well and they're doing distance learning i'm just wondering what, what i'm just trying to check in and see like what your experiences are thinking about that framework
2: yeah i think you're right i mean i think the social presence is right up front and for me it's been in emails from administrators you know at the university level and then at the department level for sure and very much also from my from my daughter's school which is great so there's been a lot of attention to um, support for the students Mm -hmm. and you know first and foremost we're concerned about them and the message has really been one um, from my university of focusing on impact and not volume and Mm -hmm. i really appreciated that because as we shifted so quickly from face-to-face courses that were really comfortable teaching to this online context the temptation was I have to get every single thing in that I had gotten in before. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, pedagogically, that's not a great idea, yeah. <laughs> but, but more importantly, there has to be time for the student Yes, um, as a person who is yeah. experiencing the pandemic yeah. in, in a lot of the same ways that, uh, that we are, but also in different ways because I was not ripped off of campus. You mm-hmm. know, I'm still in my home where I sleep every night, right? Um, oh, so that yeah. was, a, it's a different, it's a different set of challenges that they're facing, but we have the same sort of global concern. And that has been for sure at the forefront yeah. of the communications. And I really do believe, I mean, it, it has seemed very genuine in, mm-hmm. in their communication and that's been very well received. They are passing along, you know, the, the um, praise that the students are giving the faculty for, for doing just that. So I think nice. it's... Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah as I said, I'm seeing similar things in, in my own professional and personal experiences. I chuckled when you said it might not be pedagogically appropriate to sort of um, focus on impact over sort of volume. I have to say I am... Um, I'm not sure like I'm going back and forth when it comes to um, am I misunderstanding you
2: well I was thinking more that it's not great I think we always should focus on impact not volume but I was thinking that it's not great to try to get every you know last PowerPoint slide that I might teach in person in an online environment so we do have to we have to shave away Um, and that I was saying pedagogically I don't think it's a good idea to just do everything you did in person oh yeah it's not going to work that way
1: yeah, I totally agree with that. It's funny, I, I mean, I don't know very much about Montessori schools other than sort of the, the sort of typical reputation they get for how they schedule and goal setting. And I've been maybe it's because I'm homeschooling my own kids. I'm thinking less is definitely more. Yeah. <laughs> right so yeah. in terms of managing. Um, so as we wrap up the interview, I was hoping you could share, you know, I have listeners who are also educators, maybe um I don't know, running nonprofits, managers, you know, working with groups of individuals during this pandemic and thinking about these things we've been talking about. And I was hoping that you would be willing to share, I know we've talked a lot about many things, but just some ways in which, you know, you mentioned your students loving how you're creating these spaces and you've had these conversations with faculty and, and the messaging that's going on. I mean, obviously all of this is happening at a distance. So I'm wondering, If you could sort of dig in even just a couple like examples of sort of what that looks like and maybe you know what you're doing so that people could actually
2: enact that if they wanted to sure so um i mean departmentally we actually just tonight had a meeting with our our seniors and a meeting is probably too formal of a word it was a zoom (laughs) get together it was a party p-a-w starts off because (laughs) we brought our pets to this party um, but did really Morgan, that was, did Morgan come? Morgan made South an come? appearance, of course, right. yes. <laughs> it, but it came from paying attention because mm-hmm. we were we've been really intentional about talking with students about what's going on and how they're feeling and what they're needing. Mm-hmm. And the seniors are really feeling disconnected and like they're missing these last days with their peers. And so for them, we wanted to intentionally create these social meetings and contexts and you know environments for them to get together with one another and then with us, you know, with their faculty as well. So we have a couple of those. The juniors are really concerned about graduate school. That's really pressing for them. So we're getting a meeting together for them with that, with faculty and students to help present those sorts of things. So I think paying attention to what people need and then responding is Mm -hmm. a a good strategy. And that's what we're doing departmentally. With students, um, they really seem to like having different ways to connect. So like I was mentioning before, chatting before class, you know, an email with some reflective content so that, because some of them like to, to read and stew over it and then get back to you with this really thoughtful response. And yeah. sometimes I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't have that in you. Um, <laughs> and then we get to have this nice exchange. So that's, that's good. Or, you know, today I used a Google Form survey and I got back some really rich content from students who clearly had a lot to say and needed yeah. some way to, to communicate that. Yeah. Um, And my kids' school, I mean, they've done such a great job, I think, communicating with families through town hall meetings. So Mm -hmm. big town halls where the principal and and the assistant principal are running it and and all the families are there. And it's just a nice way to hear familiar voices and to see the faces again. And everybody gets the information at the same time, Uh, not using email, which is kind of nice because I know we're all getting so much email communication, it's hard to kind of get through that. So it was a nice way to communicate and be in touch that way.
1: Great. Yeah, I agree. I, I I wish some of the folks with whom I encounter would slow down on the email. I feel like, I feel, I can't believe I'm saying this because I spend so much time online and on email, but I've often early, and this week and last week in particular, I felt very bombarded with email. So um, yeah, so I would agree with you on the sort of Right, multiple modalities, right, is always a good way to go. Um, right. yep. So, um, so I just want to thank you for um, agreeing to come on. I know this isn't your favorite, <laughs> your favorite uh, task, if you will, but um, I thought it was important to again pay uh, gratitude and attribution to you for shared vulnerability. Um, I really loved hearing about, and I know our listeners will love hearing about your ideas of belonging and what you're doing as a faculty member and advisor at Loyola um, and of course it's always great to hear tips and strategies for what folks are doing um, and it's great because the the final segment of the podcast I hope you will listen even if you fast forward because you don't want to listen to yourself um, <laughs> but I found this great article and I actually thought you might be interested in it it's um, it's coming up in the next segment Richard and Richardson and Lowenthal so it's about the community of inquiry framework, but it's actually, they um, hypothesize that there's something neglected in the community of inquiry, which is actually teacher presence, that there's a focus on teaching presence, so that anyone in that community could essentially take up, take up that role, and they make the case that we should also be focused on teacher presence. So, um, if you're feeling so inclined to have a listen to episode 13, you can fast forward through the interview since you participated, but that is what is coming up next. So Brianne, um, it's, you know, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. So thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank
2: you for having me. It was fun. Great. All right. All right.
1: All right. Welcome back to Tell Me This. This is episode 13, and I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brianne Ruse, soon to be Dr. Ruse. I am looking forward to that day where I can officially start calling her doctor. Um, I hope that she also enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, and that I'll be able to entice her to come back for a future conversation, whether it's about social presence, shared vulnerability, or some other topic that we um, we would be talking about. We have lots of really interesting conversations, so I'd love to bring another one um, to a different episode. So more to come on that. So before I wrap up, I'd like to finish out the segment with some research, as I always like to do, connect a little bit of research to what we've been talking about today. And I had originally honestly intended to talk about some of the classic articles on community of inquiry by um, you know Garrison and Archer and others, And then I, in my sort of search for literature, I found this article that I had never read. It's called Instructor Social Presence, Learner Needs, and a Neglected Component of the Community of Inquiry Framework. And it's Richardson and Lowenthal, 2017. And so just as a reminder, you know, Garrison really was the the author that came up with this idea of community of inquiry, this process model right so this the mechanisms within online learning so if you if you think about instructional designers and folks that are sort of crafting and designing these distance learning courses it was really a way for those folks to think about the learning and how to cultivate and enhance that learning that happens in those the, those virtual spaces and so what these authors these researchers, you know, came to figure out and build was this framework that included three critical elements, cognitive, social, and teaching presence. So social presence, as we've already talked about, is really this ability of participants to project their personal characteristics into the community. So think about being present or being able to communicate and share yourself as a real person. Teaching presence is really focused on those aspects, those processes within within a course or a program, or even just an online experience, that that is centered on instructional management. So things like, um, you know, understanding knowledge and direct instruction. The last element, cognitive presence, of course, is about constructing meaning through sustained communication. So social teaching and cognitive presence. And if you pull up one of the Garrison articles around community of inquiry, or even if you probably just Google community of inquiry, you'll see the sort of classic diagram that integrates social teaching and cognitive pre- presence into these, these three overlapping circles. Now, what, these, what Richardson and Lowenthal talk about is that they believe that while the community of inquiry certainly makes sense as a framework, they also suggest that we should take note that the authors of the community of inquiry or really the designers of community inquiry talk about teaching presence, not teacher presence. And so I feel like this, this reminds me of an earlier podcast where I talked about sort of you know, the the teacher in the teaching, right? Remembering sort of the human aspect. And I think that's what these authors are getting at. So they contend that the community of inquiry framework and this idea around teaching presence suggests that anyone within that community could be focused on the instructional management, the direct instruction, the understanding of knowledge, the facilitation of those those activities, et cetera, that are all about teaching. They contend that it does not, however, sort of acknowledge the importance of the teacher themselves. Um, So they go on to cite literature that talks about, you know, that students want to know who their instructors are as real people. So it's this, they sort of talk about, without getting into the details of the article, they talk about this this sort of mixing of social presence and teaching presence into something they call teacher presence, that they think that teacher presence needs to be, um, integrated in there somewhere. And they go on to remind us, and this is something that we should all keep in mind as all of our students, higher ed, you know, from K all the way to higher ed are transitioning to distance learning, that this, this distance, right, this literal distance, um, you know, even if you're literally just down the road from your elementary school it distance learning you know and students in those distance learning classes and programs report higher feelings of isolation higher levels of feeling isolated they feel they report feeling disconnected with their peers their instructors and the institutions and they just get a sense of this impersonal detachment and th- these are things that I talked about last week when I was talking about shared vulnerability. Um, And so these are not anything new. I have to share with you, and I I know I already told the story, but it was funny. We were at dinner tonight, and I was talking to my son, my oldest son, and asking him if he would be interested in learning Spanish. And he sort of looked at me, and he said, maybe. And I said, well, Katie, our neighbor, um, you know, who's usually away at college, is home, I mean, she literally, we're on a private drive, but she literally, I mean, I could throw, I could like, if I, if on a good day I could throw, um, I don't know, maybe a tennis ball, um, into her backyard. Like it's, it's woodsy, but she's close. Right. And he sort of chuckled and he said, are we going to go to her house? And I said, no, you know, we can't go. And he said, we're going to do zoom when we're this close. And so even, you know, even the prospect of doing zoom, with another human being that's geographically close can also create distance. So um, even though there's a physical distance in most distance learning courses and programs between the instructor and the student, that distance learning, you know, just by virtue of using Zoom as opposed to walking down the street to see your friend, obviously can also create this distance. So, so these authors remind us, um, you know, Richardson and Lowenthal, this 2017 article, they remind us that social presence is important. As I said, it's linked to retention, satisfaction, deeper knowledge, intention to re-enroll in a distance learning class. And so what they suggest is that the instructor, the facilitator in that course should think about their own social presence, not just creating social presence in the environment for the participants but emoting and projecting their own social presence, really figuring out a way to be real and to be present, to be there. So this idea of immediacy, so communication can enhance closeness, certainly the characteristics and the attributes of the teacher, so their personal traits can matter. They also suggest that instructors think about developing an online persona, so that, again, this I think this is a great um, tip because it made me think of Brene Brown and boundaries. So this being real and authentic does not mean you dump it all out there for the, the students to see, right? That's not what we're talking about. But developing an online persona is thinking about how can I demonstrate and model for my students and show them that I am a real human being I'm not just their instructor teacher faculty member in a, a distance learning class that you know in terms of the pandemic I'm having real feelings about this I I'm I get upset I get nervous I'm worried I'm relieved that my family is safe I we laughed together tonight you know during our sync session because something was funny like just being Present, being there, and being real. So, uh, developing that online persona so that you can be authentic with your students. And the other tip they say is to leverage interaction mechanisms. So, again, if you think about the process framework for a community of inquiry, so in those moments, whether asynchronous or synchronous, in those moments of in- in- interaction, make the most of them. Notice that they don't say multiple interactions or daily interactions. They just say whatever mechanisms you have, whether it's picking up a phone, emailing, hopping on a Zoom session, posting a video, sharing an audio message, you know, leverage the interaction mechanisms and those avenues of communication so that your students can feel and hear and see the authenticity of an instructor. So why do I bring this up? Well, I bring this up to remind us that Brienne and I talked about shared vulnerability, right? That we're, we really are truly experiencing, even though we're experiencing it in different contexts, in different ways, we all have similar feelings about this, the worry, the anxiety, right? Well, to bring your authentic self to these spaces, whether it's to your community meetings, to your family Zoom meetings now, or communication, to your classrooms, to your whatever it is that you're going to or being a part of, bringing your authentic self is bringing these contradictions, right? That I talked about earlier. This ability to be sitting in the middle of a pandemic like my grandfather, and find some goodness in the moment. To be able to say, this is really scary and I'm worried, but then to also share a laugh, to share a smile, to share a tear, to shed a tear, to share a a good cry, right? So I bring this up to say that I've been thinking a lot about the community of inquiry and I was particularly thinking about social presence. And as I read and found this, as I found and read this article about this neglected component of community of inquiry, it sort of shifted me a little because originally I was thinking as Brianne and I discussed that, you know, the conversation is focused on social presence. And so maybe the other two are taking a back seat. I also think, however, that we need to also be focusing on the social presence of the instructor, the teacher presence, right? The teacher presence. And so it's teacher presence because this this article, this research is done within the context of distance learning. But I urge you not to get stuck in that context because I see lots of application for this for any facilitator. I mean, I was on a call, a Zoom the other night with um, this woman who trains triathletes. I would consider her a facilitator and a teacher of sorts and thinking about her presence in that space. So, you know, if you're running any meeting, if you're engaged in a conversation with your, your church, your Neighborhood, a town meeting, whatever it is, think about your own social presence. Think about your own sort of teacher, individual presence, and see what you can do to come to that space and project an authenticity. So, to wrap up, I just want to remind us to breathe, take a few breaths in and out, and slow things down to stay flexible and open to change because things are just moving and shifting in all sorts of ways that we sometimes can't predict, to be patient with yourself and with others and extend maybe just a little bit more kindness than perhaps you usually would. And remember that, you know, when you're in those situations of, learning or teaching or instructing or managing, to remember that there are contributions, valuable contributions in short spurts of teaching and managing and guiding that will contribute over just volumes and volumes of stuff, right? Of assignments, of worksheets, of tasks. So think about sort of um, getting more bang for your buck, if you will. In in economics, we like to talk about sort of the efficiency, right? So think of it that way. And also, I wanted to remind you of the shared vulnerability that just when you think you're all by yourself worried about what's going to happen next, remember that there's someone not too far away from you, even though they might be geographically separated, that's having a similar feeling. So I think the best thing You can do is share that feeling so that they also feel like they have permission to share. And I and trust me that when you open up in a you know trusted and respectful way, you can really help each other to relieve some of the stress and anxiety you're feeling. So I want to wrap up. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening. I really hope you enjoyed. The interview with Brianne, my conversation, thanks to her for taking time out of her crazy day to join us today. And I just want to remind you that it is okay to hold those contradictions in both hands, to be nervous and worried and anxious and wondering what's gonna happen next while also, you know, expressing cheer and excitement and laughter and love and kindness. It's okay to have both of those things. That's that's life, right? Those are experiences. You've got to feelings are there to feel everything, right? You can't pick and choose what you feel. So stay safe, stay healthy, hug your family, hug your pets, hug hug your loved ones. And as like as our kids like to remind us, please wash your hands. All right, everybody. Take care and have a great week. I'm Carrie Borkowski, and this has been another episode of Tell Me This. Thanks.
0: Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com forward slash BE. To learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash B E.